and welcome back to the second episode of Uncomfortable Chai Chats. I am your host, Thanvi. It is so great to have you back. Or if you're new, welcome to the pod. Um, we have a previous episode that was super, super fun. It was the debut episode. I had two special guests on there, very close friends of mine, and we talked about North, South India, um, the differences between them, generational trauma, marriage, all that super, super fun stuff. But on this episode, we're shifting gears a little bit. So the pod is going to run the same way. I'll have a guest on who is here today um, and I'll have him introduce himself in just a little bit. But before I do that, I want to go ahead and give a brief overview of what we're talking about. So today's topic is going to surround kind of opposites chatting together. So cultural differences, talking about, you know, matchmaking, the stigmas behind marriage, love versus arrange, especially in the U.S. and beyond, um, the Western views of what love is versus how other cultures may view it, um, family views and dynamics. I do want to say that all opinions that are stated on this pod are going to be my own, and the ones that are going to be talked about referencing studies will be linked within this pod, so you can go ahead and view them. We're subjecting two fantastic, phenomenal authors. Um, Kabira and Chavan are both wonderful authors. They've had so many different productions about South Asian identity and the diaspora. Um, So if you have not read these, you can go ahead and do that. If not, we'll be mentioning it within the pod. So no pressure either way. Um, But yeah, why don't we go ahead and get right into it? So our guest today is- Hi, my name is Cabot. He is from... <laughs> I'm, I'm from uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute, or WPI, uh, colloquially. Um, I'm, an M- I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm graduating this year, so I'm a senior Woo! at the time of the podcast. Senior. Uh, okay, so where are you from? Where were you raised? Um, so I was raised in Southern Mass. Mm-hmm. So um, it's... I've mainly been a Mass kid, but... Throughout my life, I've I've traveled within the U.S. Mm-hmm. everywhere, but not externally. So, this summer I'm finally going out of country. Oh my god, so he ventures excited. abroad. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you venturing? Acting like I don't know, but you know. <laughs> oh, the Philippines. Oh my gosh! So, any big plans for the Philippines? Oh, some bus and bus and trips. Um, <laughs> where where we're gonna have to spend three hours in a car getting to a resort. Yes, uh, and yes. then after we're there, I think we're going to be just taking it all in for a while. And then I think we're also checking out a volcano, mm-hmm. uh, checking out some of the, the nightlife there. Yep. Super excited. The night markets. Learn some culture while we're at it. Yeah. I've been waiting to take him to India. So I was actually going to drag him on this trip. But unfortunately, we can't because times and, you know, we're going to be having real big big jobs you know not looking forward to that one okay wow <laughs> oh. oh yeah what do you why don't you talk about what you're going to be doing starting um the july july right That's yeah july so uh following graduation i am going to be working as an engineer in um the navy base as a civilian so i will be having a great time over there mm. doing what i love as a civilian civilian says. I have um, to make that clarification because some people just don't know and they think I'm going like across seas. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> getting shipped off already. I'm like at my best 5'8", so <laughs> hey, I'm not I'm not in that line of work. In the background, so why don't we just get right into it? Um, 
Okay, so before we start getting into the nitty gritties, um, what are you <laughs> drinking today? <laughs> I was planning to have just some apple juice while I was talking, but someone uh, did not check an expiration date, uh, meaning myself, so now I'm drinking water. Oh my gosh. Um, so by expiration date, he means there was a certain someone that might have spiked the apple juice in the house it's okay to say that (laughs) okay good um i'm not about to like they drink it free so yeah um professionals have standards unfortunately he is uh yeah unfortunately he is just drinking plain old water um but it's okay because that was me the last pod but guys today i have something super cool if you don't remember from our last pod we had someone sitting in he said he drank rice protein but this time I have um, Thai tea boba protein. So it's actually really great. This pod is not sponsored, although I wish it was because it's so expensive. But yeah, that's what I'm drinking today. It's delicious. Would recommend. Um, okay, now now that we've gotten past all the BS, we'll get into it. Um, uh, okay, so why don't we go ahead and just start talking about your upbringing. upbringing. So... In the readings, they reflect on South Asian Americans and their racial identity and how sometimes there are exclusionary topics in which they can't necessarily relate with both the American Western standard, but not necessarily people that were born and raised in India. There's kind of this weird in-between line, which I personally resonate with, but I'm here to converse with Cabot, who I want to well, first classify yourself. Um, you know, what's your race, if you don't mind talking about your socioeconomic status. Sure. And, you know, getting into that. Yeah. Um, I am uh, I'm a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> plain, plain and put it, uh, I'm, uh, I was raised in um, middle class. Um, mm-hmm. probably in the, in the middle of middle class. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how else to describe socioeconomic and race other than pasty white dude in the middle class. Yes. Heritage, like England? Oh, heritage, I guess. Um, I have family ties to Poland, France, and England. So Woo-hoo. that's about it. Still white though. <laughs> yes. Um, he is a cisgendered male. Yes. Yes. Um, and he is heterosexual and he's a white guy. So what in comparison he is talking to well if you don't know by this pod yet, I am a South Asian woman. So <laughs> we are somewhat different, some may say. Just um, a little bit. <laughs> but I'm excited to see that. So why don't we go ahead and get into like, you know, how would you describe your family environment? How would you describe how you were kind of growing up with? Would you say it was like a you know, a pretty open one, or was it, like, an ongoing process? Um, I feel like, I, I want to say open because I know in comparison, thank goodness my bubble got burst, and I'm not just, like, from talking from a sole white perspective, Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like my family was pretty open, um, about topics, uh, granted, there, there are always some things that just don't make it into, like, family discussions. Right. Um, so I feel like in terms of like I I don't know how to like quantify how much <laughs> openness it is but yeah. like I feel like it's around you know 85%. <laughs> that was the most engineer response I've heard. Um so you said there were a couple topics that you felt that were like or I guess the family didn't feel comfortable getting into. Do you mind sharing what those topics would include? Sure. Um 
I think one of them was definitely finance. There's mm-hmm. definitely, um, like, as, as, as kids, uh, parents want them to, like, stay innocent for as long as they can. And mm-hmm. I guess a lot of people have a conception that money is a corrupter. So if you open a door, you know, it's, it's going to take away the kid's innocence. Right. So in an aspect, I see where that can come from. But there are a lot of things that, you know, can benefit from some financial literacy, yeah. Um, not not like everything is bad, so. Yeah, so actually, guys, if you read the Chauvin reading, they basically talk about the role of women in entrepreneurship in Indian economy. And it talks about how women in India were raised at a young age, like starting from recently, actually, once the dynamic has started shifting in like gender roles um, about finances. I mean, finance is a huge, important topic that, at least in my life, that I've been taught from a super young age. So I find it incredibly interesting that, you know, there there are lines. I mean, of course, in my family, there are topics that you don't talk about, but mine would include, like, you can't talk about this until you're, air quote, of age, you know? Mm. But money was not one of those topics. Well, mm. money was something that my family was pretty open with, you know, from, a, like, okay, so this is where we're standing now. This is how much we make. This is how much you need to survive, even if I was able to fathom that idea or not so I find that really interesting like what would you say would you say that you'd want to like carry this forward or would you say like is in hindsight 2020 right but is there something that you wish like at some point you were taught earlier I I think I do wish that I was taught earlier um because granted in high school a lot of not everyone but a lot of kids end up taking either like some financial literacy class or um something to that extent um, and granted, I, d- I did take one of those classes, but, you know, it's, it's always different hearing it from, you know, a parental perspective. Um, and and from I, like a real perspective. Yeah, from a real yeah. one too. <laughs> Instead of like, oh, if you like research this on Google, yeah. you can find out what the numbers are. Yeah, oh. Those classes are like somewhat bullshit. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> bullshit. I think the one thing that I actually like took forward was how to write checks. That's yeah. the one thing I actually like learned in that class and carried through. Everything else is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Especially like they don't tell you about taxes and that stuff you go to jail over. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's one of the like... One of the reasons I I should have gotten started. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing is, though, like, those, like, American schooling system do better. Not that you're listening to this, but seriously, do better. Because even, even, okay, so in my school, I switched from a public school to an international school at a pretty young age. Lucky, lucky. Um, yeah, very, <laughs> I come from a privileged background socioeconomically. Um, and we were able to fund through private school. And I was in private school from fourth to twelfth grade and currently I go to Brandeis. And that's also a private university. Um, And in that sense, we were allowed to talk about finances there. But I do remember talking to my friends in public schools um, and they while they were talking about it, they have financial literacy classes. It wasn't using real life examples Mm -hmm. like in our school. We were given the assignment. okay, go home, ask your parents how much they make. Like, obviously, we're not disclosing this to the class, but run through a budget. How did they work it through? So actually, I was given that assignment in ninth grade. So I went through the finances with my parents and I actually learned how they did it for this class. And I think that's so, so helpful. Granted, my school has many issues, but this is not one of them. This is the one that I will give it to them. They nailed on finances. I just wish that American schooling systems did that a little bit more because there's so many kids who come to college and they're just thrown into the lion's den of adulthood. Like, did you kind of feel that way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely like a trial by fire. But, yeah. you know, if you survive, you learn. So Exactly. 
That's true. Um, what would you say, would you say this was carried on from your, like, grandparents to your parents? Or do you think this was something new that they initiated? Was I, this a sensitive topic they don't like talking about? In my honest opinion, I I am pretty sure it was something generational. Gotcha. I think it I think it might have had something to do with, um, like, the, the American population as a whole mm-hmm. through, like, what they learned and grew up with and then they normalized for them. Right. Um, Because, you know, being in my socioeconomic standpoint, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, weird to understand that my grandparents were both, you know, people who invested in the market and, you know, did stocks and um, started businesses and enterprised, but I hear nothing about them. Oh. Like, the, the the whole financial discussions are just not really prevalent. Yeah. Do you, well, if, see, I just, I wonder, because I think a big thing that I learned when I came here, or I guess when I started talking to people outside of my culture, was that, like, you don't really, you don't really talk about salary. Like, you don't really talk about, like, asking, like, hey, how much do you make? Like, yes, that question's abrasive. But recent laws have been passing throughout a couple states about salary transparency. So now the narrative's kind of shifting asking people to disclose how much are you going to pay someone, you know? But before, it was, like, a huge no-no. Like, to ask how much you get paid, that was rude, you oh, know? Yeah. So I just find that I find that really interesting. Um, I mean, we dove, like, right into the lion's den of <laughs> money, but I think it is definitely something interesting. And how do you think that affected your family dynamic and, like, what it currently looks like with you guys? I mean, there is something to say about you being the older child, right? Yeah. So you have a younger sister. I do. And <laughs> she is just now entering 11... No, entering no, she's, 12. She's finishing 11th grade yep. currently. And she's going to be entering college within a year. Yep. So what's the dynamic looking like? How is the pressure on you? Like, what's what's up with that? So <laughs> there was definitely uh, pressures. Uh, you know, as money is spent, you need more money. Yes. Uh, and as all kids are, like, technically, like, an investment from parents, mm-hmm. right... They, what is it? Kids cost like what? Around uh, uh, a sum of uh, one million, one, one point something mil. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we're currently entering the expensive age because mm-hmm. college is very expensive nowadays. Um, and as mine is wrapping up, that means my student loans are wrapping. So I had just pressure to get a job secured, get something that will pay. You know, something that will pay pretty good. Um, but something that you know. I will do for work. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, my sister will be able to do the same things that I'm doing. And of course, I also have like responsibilities to, you know, help shoulder, you know, that finance as that one comes, you know, after mine is already done. Okay. So I think an interesting like route to take with this is that in, in my family, we always say like, your money is my money. My money is your money. Like family money is family money. But there are times where I talk to other people and that that's not necessarily shared, right? Sure. So I wanted to know how your family is on that. Is it like a division of money? Like, okay, once you're over 18 or over 21, that money that you earn from your job, that belongs to just you. Um, I would say mostly no. Okay. I, I think it is mostly what your money is our money. Mm-hmm. Um, to an extent, though, because there are certain things that my parents at least um, would be like, well, 
as you're, you're a kid, you are living under our roof. We're providing for you. Mm-hmm. But there are also things that you do that generate re- money either by uh, like small, small, like you like walking your neighbor's dogs or mm-hmm. if you're getting a job like in an actual place. Um, but if you're collecting money that way, then of course they're going to ask you to help out around other things. So they're less strained. But, mm-hmm. you know, you also have control over, you know, some of the things. I would say, um, like, in from my experiences, there were times that, you know, if there was something that I wanted to do, and it wasn't necessarily a need, but like a want, mm-hmm. that I would more likely be asked to fund it, mm-hmm. right? So if I wanted to, like, buy a new gaming console, I was the one who had to spend, you know, birthday money on that one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, okay, I'll, I'll take out my credit card for, mm-hmm. or... If you do this, then something after, you know? Are you expected, do you think, to help take care of your family after a point? Or do you, do you, is that something that's not necessarily falling on you? Um, my parents really, they started talking about that, I want to say around like eight years ago. Okay. Um, so they would like weave it into like jokes at like dinner time of saying like to to me and my sister like, Okay, which one of you is going to have a house that me and mom can live in, you know, when we're retired? (laughs) So um, there's always been like a talk between me and my sister of she's saying, oh, yeah, I'll have, you know, an over the loft garage that, you know, be renovated and all this. And Cabot will just have to pay the electricity. (laughs) So there there's talks about it. But I I don't know how much of it is a personal responsibility rather than a familial responsibility. Okay. So, do you feel that you and your sister will eventually take care of your parents, or do you feel like that responsibility would have been, like, individually your parents would have to set that up for themselves? Um, most likely, I feel like me and my sister would take care of it. Um, in terms of taking care of relatives, I don't know how, like, deep down the hole you want to get in this conversation, <laughs> but um, as as a family, we've discussed that until you get to a point where you're mentally not the parent mm-hmm. or you're not connect you're not the family member then that's when you know it's it's not on you okay gotcha so so basically the concept of like let's say like a nursing home would sure. come into clutch if if their mental state wasn't present yeah they i think they phrase it of if i'm a burden and i know i'm a burden mm-hmm. i shouldn't be here at all okay like by okay. that point it's yeah. too you you've you've messed up yeah. Okay. So what do you think that, what do you think your family's like goals and desires are? And do you, do you think there are any, first of all, and do you think that they passed on to you? Do you feel any burden currently? <laughs> um, I think the one thing like of burdens you can say is again, finances. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause as something that, you know, most things were, were talked about, but as the, the few things that aren't talked about, they're intimidating right. um, because, you know, trial by fire, you know, it leaves a mark. It's a lot of learning. It is a lot of learning very fast right. and it's constant learning. Yeah. It's not like a one and done. Yes. So um, I feel like that's one of the only ways like I'm, I'm long-term impacted on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just forgot what the rest of the question was. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think, like, your family's desires and goals are? Do you think they have any? Or do you oh. think that it's just like, you know what, why don't we just focus on the now and live for the now and you do you in your life? No, um, 
my, I think my family's goals have been to, to live happy and uh, live long. Okay. So, you know, if you're living long, that means you need money. So you're re- requiring a job. So it's mm-hmm. not like put happiness over monetary value. Okay. Um, but definitely placing, you know, um, what is it? Like emotional wellness. Yeah. Um, into the, the top top few choices of like things to keep track of yeah i think something interesting at least on my part and what i saw like resonating in some of the readings was that a lot of women um not even women but any a lot of south asian people that have immigrated to the u.s have noted um different types of goals and different types of desires from their family so the idea i mean not necessarily people aren't saying like okay like it's it's for i guess in the dynamic it's you live to work like that's kind of what's been going on that's kind of the trend people have been going on and yeah there's been some shifts with a certain percentage of individuals but what's been popular lately is the live to work trend so especially people that have immigrated here so gen x my parents um and their generation were raised to you know what we need to provide for our family we need to do the best we can because we owe it to them and then after that point they owe it to the previous ancestrals to build on that and to make that greater. So I guess the the idea of living long isn't isn't honestly in my parents' minds at all because they're like, you know what, I live for how long I live and after that, like, it's wraps. Like, I, they're kind of like, I guess for my dad personally, he's like, you know what, I retire, I die, I don't care. As long as my kids are married and carrying on the lineage, that's all I care about. Like, whether I'm alive or dead doesn't really matter because death is something that it's, it's really celebrated. Like, they're like, okay, you know what? You've died, great. Now you're passing on the lineage to the next person. Yeah. So I think I think that's that's just really interesting coming from my background because I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? Like, I die, so I die. You know, <laughs> um, it's not something that... I, I talked to a few of my peers and it's something that seems to be a bad thing, you know? Yeah. And, like, people, people cry at funerals and whatnot. At a f- many funerals that I've been to... It's, although people are sad, it's also celebrated that there's, you know, they're not that they're in a better place, but they have risen to that level of divinity and that also now the cycle can continue. Um, And also reincarnation in Hinduism is like a whole nother topic, (laughs) but I am Hindu. So a lot of us follow Hinduism um, in that they're going to reincarnate into a better form or pure form or eventually reach Nirvana. So like, that's really important to us and i guess that seeps into our family values monetarily and otherwise i mean my parents didn't come here wealthy whatsoever um they both came from impoverished backgrounds and then they came here and then worked their way up so them care like having to be where they're at what they expect and i think they're completely rightfully so expecting this of me is to carry on that lineage you know because they work so hard so i think at least from my perspective like they're like, honestly, my dad's like out. He's like checked out. <laughs> He's like, I'm just in it for you getting married and then I'm out. So mentally, I find that really funny to hear because I, I go from like one spectrum, which is like I go to a Brandeis, which I don't know if it's actually considered a PWI or not. I don't know what that means. Oh, a predominantly <laughs> white institution. But a lot of my classes are PW. So when I'm there, I hear people being like, oh, you know, death is so sad. And then I hear, like, the little, like, the brown girls in the corner, and I'm like, yeah, because they're, they're just, like, laughing. They're like, I don't know, dude. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think those differences are honestly so like beautiful to notice just because it's something that I can learn more. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come from a predominantly white background. I was raised in Houston, Texas, which is so heavy in Indians. So I was raised in that environment, like all different types of Indians. But this was all new to me. And I think it was just very interesting to learn about. Um, and then... I think I want to shift gears unless you have anything to wrap up on this last topic. Uh, no, I feel like we've said a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, great. We talk about something else. So why don't we go ahead and shift gears to love oh, everyone's favorite and least favorite topic. Um, so why don't we get into it? So, what are your perceptions of what love is? Like, what would you? I guess I in an ideal world, what would you like? your love i say this with big air quotes and nobody can see me okay. <laughs> i don't know love is i think love is like a very hard word to define in and of itself before you're saying what you want from it um uh so i feel like one of the things that you know is associated with love that you know i personally want is someone to like have like absolute trust in okay like an unwavering like support or like faith in them mm-hmm. um so i don't know i feel like that's that's i think that's one of the most important parts yeah i think trust is super important because that i think that's a keystone in like so many other aspects like honesty commitment yeah. um you know i think loyal is under commitment so <laughs> I I probably shouldn't say that one. <laughs> but loyal in many ways. Yeah. They don't have to cheat on you, but they they could yeah. also like not be supportive of you. That's which true. Is not being loyal, you know. Yeah. Um. But what do you think like a good path is for you? Like, what is like your air quote social clock? What does that look like to you? Ah, the fabled social clock of <laughs> when things go bad. I don't really know. Um. I know we had a discussion as roommates. Like, I want to say. A month prior. Yeah. Uh, bring, like your years of dating. Bringing this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having like years dating and stuff like that. Um, so I think they typically follow like a timeline of have kids in your 30s. Mm-hmm. So um, prior to that, you have to like work backwards. So mm-hmm. kids in 30s means probably you want to be married for at least two years. Mm-hmm. So married by 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably want to move in with them before then and then also you'd have to have time for engagement Mm -hmm. and then also time for dating so probably take off another four years and that's 24 (laughs) and i'm 23 so (laughs) ladies if you know what's you know i'm here oh no oh no (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm just kidding he's not kidding i'm not but i am desperate times desperate measures yeah so like Anyways, um... Oh, yeah, back to the question. Yeah, back to the question. <laughs> um, so what do you think, like, what was your original perception of arranged marriage? Like, what did you think of it? And did you even think of it? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, so, growing up in, like, you know, white suburbia in mass, yeah. um, it's kind of, like, I'm, taboo, like, implies that it's, like, wrong. But I think... It's, it's rare. It's rare. And yeah. it's not really, you know... It's not common. <laughs> it's not common at all. But it, the, I think that what I'm trying to say is that it, from an outsider's perspective, it can seem forced. Yeah. 
Um, so I feel like there's like a negative stigma mm-hmm. around it. Um, but it's like, I feel like there's true attributes to everything that's said, mm-hmm. right? You know, things that are said that have like ill intent are at one point rooted in something that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like to everything that's good, there are also people that have had said that their parents were, you know, engaged and they said, oh, they fight all the time mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't like going home. But then I've also had people saying that, you know, they their parents like learned to love each other. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a different dynamic shift. So I feel as like me being a white guy, mm-hmm. I never had someone telling me that, you know, it could work. Yeah. I've only heard from perspectives saying, oh, that's that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that's not what happens here or yeah. something to that extent um, where it's kind of judgmental in the fact that there's less choice um, yeah. because of the word arranged. Yeah, I feel like people take arranged and somewhat run with it. I mean, in all honesty, arranged marriage is essentially glorified Tinder. Like, when you really freaking think about it, like, I'm very passionate about the subject, but when you really think about it, like, people are matchmaking with you. We were doing Tinder before Tinder was doing Tinder, okay? All Tinder is is that you you look on their physical attributes and you swipe. Arranged marriage, they look beyond that. They look at, because families, at least, okay, speaking on just my culture, but family standing is a huge thing. Jobs are a huge thing. So you basically get a bio data of all that information, like where they were raised, what their interests are, what they're doing, where they work, what their family does. Um, and you get that entire thing and then you make a decision. And it, currently, it is very rare. And for a lot of generations since Gen X and beyond, it's been very rare that you have a non-consensual arranged marriage. It has been consensual for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So people have this phenomena that arranged marriages are not consensual, which is just not true. It's basically just matchmaking, right? Yeah. You're doing a matchmaking and you date. But I know people would say like, oh, you know, but you can get divorced. Well, you can get divorced with love marriage. You know, <laughs> like it's the same thing to me. I think whether I found my partner through arranged or love, like they're still my partner and you still put in work regardless. Like, yes, you're getting to know them at the same time, which to some people is very beautiful. And some people need to go into things knowing every single thing about their person before they get married. But I think in my culture, going back to my parents' generation, it was weird to be dating and getting married. Like, that was weird because you are making a choice on behalf of your entire family. I think where the difference comes in is that when you're marrying into a family, especially in India... When you're marrying a person, especially in India, you're marrying into their family. You know, you're marrying that entire group of people. So I find it funny when I sometimes hear, like, people in my generation say, like, well, I'm marrying them. I'm not marrying the mother-in-law. True, sure, but, like, you're also inheriting all of their culture. Yeah, you get ties. And ties. Like, it's kind of just rooted in the way we've been raised. I think... So, like, would you be open to arranged marriage? Honestly, why not? (laughs) I... I haven't tried it, therefore I shouldn't have a personal like yeah. judgment on it. Oh, I didn't. Hey, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I haven't, I haven't witnessed it firsthand or secondhand. I have never seen anyone yeah. go through it. Mm-hmm. I've seen people that are the product of it, and granted, they they could be fine, but I don't know what's internal in the family, right? Yeah. So I don't have anyone to base my judgments off of mm-hmm. in that respect. 
so what do you think ideally what would you say a balanced marriage looks like there is no form of an ideal marriage i'm gonna let that out there there's no form of an ideal marriage but what do you think it looks like like what would that look like to you um i think in essence it's it's like people that uh at least have the basis of respect and care for each other yeah um And then you could say that, you know, the more ideal is probably a higher degree of each of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with that, you know, you could add whatever, you know, love languages that those people have. Mm -hmm. um, Having them like, I don't know, give the other person their love language. Mm -hmm. I think that shows that, you know, they understand themselves and each other to know what the other person needs in that relationship. Yeah. I um, think that's, that's like, the basis of what, what I think. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm sure. <laughs> Scratching my head, yeah. No, I totally agree. I think respect is the foundation. Respect and trust are, like... Oh, and communication. Can't oh, forget oh, that. Oh, see, I <laughs> forgot something. <laughs> Those are all the foundations of a, I think, phenomenal relationship. And I think a lot of issues that come up well, if you have those good foundations, should be able to work through. And I see this through both arranged and love marriage. Sure. I mean, I would say that I've seen some pretty great examples of arranged marriage that their communication that they've developed over time is phenomenal. Like, I I only aspire to be as good as them. <laughs> um, but I, I've also seen some great examples with love marriage and that, pe- you know, people are still together. Um but yeah, I, I'm so interested to see the following statistic that happened in like 10, 15 years about our generation sure. and marriage and divorce because I feel like our generation is pretty apprehensive. Okay, they're, they're for sure apprehensive about kids. <laughs> the studies have noted a 60% decline yeah, in our generation's I think, desire. I think just from like recalling people in conversations, be it in high school, mm-hmm. college, or like work, I don't think any of them around my age have talked about wanting kids. I think I've known maybe four people (laughs) that have actually said that, you know, they're, they want kids or they're planning to have kids like anywhere within like five to 10 years. Yeah. I think uh, like we're going to be getting into this in the next pod when I bring a very, very special person to me on the podcast, but, um, yeah, we're going to be getting very, very real then talking Ooh. about like what it's actually like. What are the expectations? I mean, carrying on lineage is a huge responsibility, um, especially in the South Asian diaspora, but also beyond. I'm just speaking from what I know. Um, so we're going to be getting into that in the next pod, like my segue there. Um, but yeah, this pod was absolutely wonderful to hear your experiences and to talk about how similar and different we are and then also just coming together i mean for those of you who don't know which is all of you because you probably don't know me at all um cabot is one of my best friends i live with him yo and (laughs) it's so great for us to put this out there put this public um just so people can see that like even with the most stark differences you can come together and just be open-minded individuals and talk um it's the entire point of this pod uh do you have anything else to add uh no. <laughs> no, no, I do not. I feel like everything that I've been, I've said, I've, I feel like it's pretty good. Good. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thanks um, for having me. Yes. And the next time, stay tuned because we'll be bringing in 
someone who's very, very special, and hopefully a couple other guests to talk about love, just love, um, and spill the tea on marriage and timelines and what it's like to be a South Asian dinkwhack, which is not... <laughs> <laughs> which sounds is, dirty which is not dirty it stands for dual income no kids with a cat though with a cat so anyways find out more next time um please go ahead and read the links that i have to the readings they're absolutely phenomenal i mentioned them in the pod but they have some great information um and yeah stay tuned for next time thank you guys thank you